Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 199 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I have the pleasure of chatting with Andrew Hellman, part of the husband and wife team behind the One Part Company. They've used their experience in design thinking to elevate at-home spirits infusions to more delicious heights than ever before. But before we break down all the intimate details about at-home bitters, decoctions, and infused spirits, let's take a moment so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Love Shack. This is a custom infused spirit cocktail designed by the One Part Company to take their chocolate infusion blend and spin it off into a fun tropical application. To make the Love Shack, you'll need two ounces of infused rum using One Part Company's chocolate blend. I'd recommend using a fairly neutral white rum for this purpose. Two ounces of pineapple juice, one half ounce fresh lime juice, and one half ounce simple syrup. After following the directions on your Love Shack cocktail pack and infusing your rum for five to six hours, combine all ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, shake vigorously, and dump without straining into a large rocks glass. Garnish with a pineapple frond and enjoy on the front porch before or after dinner with good company. Couple of details here. The chocolate blend ingredients from the One Part Company include vanilla rooibos, cacao shells, and marigold petals. So this is a chocolate infusion, but it is not merely a chocolate infusion. And you'll understand why when you listen to our tasting during this interview of two other infused spirits that I created using their products. It's really fascinating to use them and then taste through them. So we'll do that for you. Also, you'll notice that no one here is assuming you have access to crushed ice, since the drink is designed to be shaken and then dumped. The higher dilution here, accompanying that maneuver, accounts for the greater levels of sugar with both pineapple juice and simple syrup. So if you suspect it might come out a little sweet for your personal palate, simply dial back one or both of those ingredients and you'll be sipping pretty in the sun. So. Now that you've got yourself a drink infused with an intriguing blend of teas and botanicals from around the world, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this fascinating conversation with Andrew Hellman of the One Part Company, some of the topics we discuss include what an infusion is at a technical level and why you might consume more of them in your day-to-day -day life than perhaps you realize. How, with the help of his wife Anna, Andrew used his experience in finance and design to launch a new company aimed at changing the way we think about infused spirits. The painstaking design that went into one part company's infusion hardware and consumable packets, from the Scandinavian aesthetics to the insanely easy infusion process. Andrew's approach to sourcing ingredients and creating flavor accords to pair with specific cocktail formats. 
We answer a timely listener question about scaling a homemade bitters recipe into something perhaps more commercially viable. We cover the merits of curated music playlists, the woes of sourcing lavender, what to drink with a grandma straight out of the Mad Men era of the 1950s, and much, much more. I'm super excited that this is episode 199 because it anticipates a big new step for us by getting back to our roots. After all, Modern Bar Cart started as a humble cocktail bitters company, and what I appreciate most about what Andrew brings to the table is his incredibly scrupulous eye for detail and design. You don't realize how many assumptions you make and expectations you have in the cocktail space until you really step back and examine each phase of a simple process like infusing a spirit. That's what Andrew and his team have done. That's why I really enjoyed using their products to prepare for this interview. And if you're in the market for a cocktail gift or a fun way to impress your friends at your next get together, then I'm sure you'll enjoy using them as well. With that, I'm pleased to present this wide ranging conversation with Andrew Hellman, co-founder of the one part company. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Eric, uh, pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, to kick us off here, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Andrew Hellman. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the One Part Company. Um, and I'm actually, you know, if we cast our eyes back into the midst of time, started my career in finance, um, coincidentally over in Europe. Uh, worked out of London uh, for UBS for a number of years, um, right when the common currency, so the euro was being launched, which I'm afraid dates me, but that's just the truth of it. And um, the thing that became important for that just very quickly was that was a, a real time for kind of strategic thinking because a lot of things was changing or were changing at the time. Um, and so that was something that was really kind of drilled into me was not just seeing the finite challenge in front of you, but the bigger picture and how movement here has a knock on effect there. And that's something that I've kind of carried through my professional life and was very much a part of us doing what we've we've achieved so far with the one part company. Um, and it's a, it's a, a company we launched back in 2015 or 2017, sorry, uh, along with my business partner and wife, Anna. Awesome. So it seems like in addition to some of the finance work you've done, you also have a bit of a background in design or at least design thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So we we launched our our design company uh, Terraforma back in 2006. Over the years, we've done a lot of work in the kind of cocktail hour, bar, home bar, that kind of category for people like Pottery Barn, Williams Sonoma, Crate and Barrel. Um, and really, what that did was that that created this mindset for our company that really focuses on the product achieving a specific result for a consumer in the home. And um, so that's been, and I think as I look back, has been incredibly important in shaping our mindset when it came time for us to kind of introduce what we're doing with our cocktail infusions under the One Part Co brand. Um, simply because cocktail is so often seen as, as a beverage category. And one of the things that I think makes us a bit unique is that we always look at things from the efficiency, from the process, from ultimately the success of a user making use of a product that we've put in their hands. 
Exactly, exactly. And and it doesn't surprise me when you drop those names, you know, Crate and Barrel, Pottery Barn. Um, it, it, it very much is geared toward the home bartender as opposed to some of our other guests who tend to be more industry focused, whether they're distillers or they're people who are in the beverage and hospitality industry at bars or hotels. Uh, so one thing that really struck me about your products, and, and we'll, we'll talk about infusion here in just a second, but I think this is important to get out there right now, is I think so many products that are marketed toward home bartenders and home cocktail enthusiasts are really dumbed down. They're not really design-driven. They're sort of shtick-driven or... Um, I get, I guess, event driven. So like, you know, a, a, mar a margarita, this for Cinco de Mayo or something like that, that they're, they're not designed for repeated use over and over there. They, they don't really allow the home bartender to get anything out of it besides a very set product. And I think what comes along with that is the impulse to almost talk down to home bartenders. I see this profusion of these cocktails. They call them systems right now that are coming out where it's basically the Keurig or the K cup of cocktails. And it's like, you either put your glass down on this mat and you punch something in somewhere and some set of robotics and AI creates a cocktail so that your fragile little mind doesn't have to think so hard. And yeah. what I like about the one part company is that it seems like you really do embrace that thinking and your products are generative in that they spur ideas. Uh, so we'll talk about what that looks like and, and, and how that sort of rolls out and scales as somebody uses this product. But that's why I was immediately attracted to it because it does seem it, it's playing in the same space as a lot of those products out there, many of which you may find at a crate and barrel or a pottery barn, but there's something different about this. There's something exciting and uh, it really does allow you to celebrate the ingredients and really engage with what you're doing as opposed to, you know, pressing a button and having some robot somewhere put out a, a very middling to, to pour cocktail on your behalf. So that's what kind of made me want to reach out to you. And yeah. um, so, so I guess, um, you know, we're talking about infusions here. One part is, uh, you know, all about taking a spirit and then adding something to it. So I, I thought we might begin our conversation at the technical level by by talking about what an infusion is at a very basic level. Um, can you talk about how you think about infusions? Yeah, sure. Um, in, infusion is, is a, a physical slash chemical process. Like if we get scientific for just a second, um, it's a it's a physical slash chemical process where plant material is put in the presence of a solvent, usually water, and allowed without further agitation to pass its flavor into that solvent, that water. In our case, we're doing that with plant matter into room temperature spirits. Um, it's an incredibly robust process. It happens all the time around you during the, you know, the course of your normal day. Um, so for instance, I mean, this is, this won't be very appetizing, but after a rainstorm, if you see a puddle of leaves, they're infusing their flavor into that rainwater. I would not recommend drinking it, but that's absolutely what's happening. Um, the more common kind of household occurrences of infusion as a, an umbrella category 
would be tea, um, which is uh, tea or coffee, right? Would be the, the classic examples of, of home infusion. Um, there are technically subsets of an, of an infused process that use either stewing in hot water, which would be tea, it's decoction, again, if we're being scientific, or percolation, which we all know is one way of brewing coffee. Uh, but again, all you're doing is you're taking plant material and putting it in the presence of a liquid that, and somehow agitating it to get a, a quicker transfer of that flavor. The interesting thing about alcohol as a solvent instead of water is that alcohol is a caustic. It's not technically an acid or conversely a base. So its pH level is rather stable, but it's highly caustic which means it, it agitates, it, it, it accelerates that transfer. So our infusions really were dialed in for pretty much your kind of standard, quote, 80 proof bottle of spirits or, you know, volume of spirits. Um, and so um, we're really just porting that process and people's innate familiarity with this idea of, oh, I've got a flavory thing here and I've got some stuff I want to flavor there, I'm going to pull them together, wait a little bit of time or watch a process happen. And at the end of it, strain off that newly infused flavored, you know, liquid and keep that for my, my ongoing use. Most cases you're combining it with, with sugar and cream and having tea or coffee. In our case, what you've done is imbued that spirit in a small batch way on demand for your use to then use for much, much more simplified cocktail builds. So going back to your earlier point, which I found very interesting and, and could not agree more with the way you expressed it, is the notion that people are very clever and very quickly figure out exactly how they want to use or misuse a, an ingredient layer or a process layer to achieve the result they have in mind. You see this happening in developing almost rambunctiously in the kind of meal kit side, right? With, with HelloFresh, with Blue Apron, with all those guys who said, right, we understand what a microwave meal is. And we also understand that's not very appetizing for people. And I would say that is the direct kind of correlation to what you were saying before about some of the Coreg, uh, K-Cup, that, that kind of approach, just push the button and get the cocktail. What that does is it sidesteps and minimizes the importance and the value of the ritual of being involved in creation. I want to be able to say I made you this cocktail, even if it was quite easy for me because I used infusion to my advantage. I want to be able to say, hey, I made this, not I pushed this button for you or I poured this out of a can for you. It doesn't have the same kind of romance to it. And there's an emotional aspect to, to products, um, absolutely, um, that, that become very important for people's rituals and ritual doesn't need to mean by extension an overly elaborate or prolonged process rituals can be very quick right but they're important touchstones that connect us emotionally to something that we're going to be intentional about invest a little bit of our time in and enjoy a result from and all we're doing is providing people with a more highly refined albeit completely natural botanical tool to help them achieve an elevated result with minimum demand on their background in terms of expertise or specific skill set.
Right. And I think there's something about ritual that if not associated with quality as like a quantitative, like high quality versus low quality mm. is at least qualitative in that you're, you're going for a very specific outcome. Otherwise you wouldn't do the ritual. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know? No, I, I agree. And I, I think, you know, when we were, when we were developing our infusions, which, you know, are simply combinations of herbs, spices, florals, botanicals, and teas, pre-measured out and in our case developed to be a certain what we call a targeted cut size so when we develop our infusion blends they average 4.8 ingredients per blend now, obviously you have to you have to do it to a round number right but that's the that's the average across our 19 different uh blends we use 54 different ingredients and each one is about five ingredients um, but the notion was to be able to deliver to people an infusion process that most infusion, when you when you enter that in, in reference to cocktail on the Internet and start your search and try to figure out what's going on. People speak in terms of days, if not weeks. Right. Um, I, we knew from our product background that there is no nothing that can be considered truly a product that is measured in days or weeks. There's an immediacy, even if it's not instant, there's still this notion of, hey, if I think about maybe at lunchtime, I wanna have some, having some people over, I wanna put a little menu together, have some cocktails and go. I felt like we needed to be able to deliver on the promise of that person should be able to engage with our product, put together an infusion, and within an afternoon, at the end of that afternoon, have the infused spirit ready to roll into their simplified cocktails. Right. And it's no different than marinating a steak that you're going to be having for dinner. It's very analogous. That's a great effort. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so I love your definition of infusion. Uh, I don't think I have too much to add, although there have been a few more recent developments in terms of using things like uh, sonication to like literal sound waves to, yeah. to infuse things more quickly. But, you know, if, if you if you strip away some of those more high tech and lab driven approaches to infusion, then, then yeah, really we are sitting there at the level of leaves in a puddle, tea leaves in a, you know, in a cup of steaming water and um, your physical solution is also one of the compelling parts of the, the one part company, because not only do you have these packets that are pre-cut to a specific size, right? You're mm. optimizing for that, as you just explained, the, the time expenditure needed to go from a uh, blank canvas to the painted infused canvas, if we're mm -hmm. talking about a, a, a spirit as a blank canvas, perhaps. But there's also what you have created as a device. We have a couple different ways we can do this, of course. Uh, and I, I'd like you to talk us through uh, first the 375 ml infusion cylinder with the uh, the suspended botanical basket, and then um, the other solution that you created for folks who might want to roll something out maybe about twice as large as that. Yeah, so one of the things that we we um, we kind of considered in development was this notion of, yes, we're porting in a centuries-old process simply to apply it to, in a semi-way, to a new category, right, and to achieve a, a kind of new result for people in the market. But, you know, we wanted to make sure that 
we were giving we were giving people the option to kind of think of it as hey i'm i'm engaging or adopting a new process i'm just starting out i've never done this before even though of course they've made tea and coffee for this category they're doing something new to them and you know based on our past experience in product design when you do stuff that's new you have to think not just twice but three times as much on behalf of the consumer to support what is natural hesitancy and skepticism i've never done this before that's new behavior asking people to develop new behaviors the most challenging thing in product design so one of the things we felt we could do was simply give them a, a, an initial measurement or a, a standard measurement that a wouldn't take up a full bottle of spirits in case they felt like, hey, that's a lot to commit, something I've never done before. Or B, even more likely, allow them to activate a previously open bottle of spirits that they may just already have on hand, you know? Um, so the 375, A, to make the measurements consistent, to make the timing consistent, no matter which blend or which spirit you're infusing, that was a huge part of, I believe, what we've achieved with what we were doing. We've created a level of standardization for the infusion process that I can confidently say never existed before. All of the infusions are done within two to six hours, period. All of our infusions will always be, even the ones that we haven't developed yet, will always fit into that performance parameter. Um, and so th that notion of, of consistency right, of, of a behavior that people can learn once and then repeat with confidence. That really was what guided that. Um, and then in terms of the way that the infusion products kind of connect to each other, you, you referenced the, the, our infusion bottle, which is literally a, a, a cylinder that holds, five, it's a 500 mil volume in total. But when the, the little infusion basket, which holds the infusion material, suspended at the top of the liquid column. When that's in place and the material is in there, it holds exactly 375 mil, which is great because then you're not sitting there asking the, the consumer to measure things, which I personally have always found tedious. And unless I'm following a really specific recipe, tend to disregard anyway. So this notion of objects created under one heading or one brand should acknowledge the fact that they're members of the same family that to me is just part of the rules of good product design. And so that's something we built in to our solution here. I love your 375 ml infusion bottle because to me, it really is a beautiful marriage of form and function. Uh, you talked about the uh, sort of the, the both, I guess, but one of the things that, that you didn't mention was the, the beauty of it. It's sort of Scandinavian in look and feel. Uh, it's got the glass with a, with a sort of a, a wooden or wooden looking um, screw top. And not only that, but it also there, there's also either the, the outer wall of the glass is thick enough or it's double walled such that you can you can see the liquid column as being sort of separate from the bottle itself. So there's a little bit of space that shows like, okay, here's the container and then here's the liquid in that container. And 
as we'll talk about in a moment here, when we taste some of these infusions, that allows you to really watch and and engage with some of the cool processes that are happening as the alcohol or the spirits and the ingredients intermingle. So I really like the beauty of it. I think the design is not only efficient, the basket fits in perfectly. I didn't have to I didn't have to figure anything out about it. I just like the it it couldn't be simpler to use. So from a function perspective, it's fantastic, but it's also beautiful. So I think there's something to be said about that as well. No, that's that's great. And I, I appreciate the kind words. Um yeah, we, we come to that stuff very honestly. I mean, my as I mentioned before, my my business partner and wife, Anna, um, she's actually Swedish. Um, I'm half Swedish. My dad is an immigrant. Um, and um, so we kind of arrive at that aesthetic, honestly. But it, it really comes from a, a, a philosophy about design, that if you're going to make something useful, don't hesitate to make it beautiful. Um, and I think that for us, design is really, when we know something's finished as a design process or, or design exercise on our side, it really should look discovered, not designed. There's, a, there's a, an elemental simplicity, I believe, to, to, nobody wants to know what Andrew Hellman specifically thinks about how, uh, uh, you know, a vessel or glass or packaging or whatever should look. My job and, and our team's job is to arrive at a kind of super normal middle ground between what the consumer might um, value or have in mind and what we feel proud to identify as our work. And we've just found over time that it's the kind of knocking the edges off and, and revealing the essence of the idea as opposed to being very contrived about something, which kind of circles back to your comments about like the cocktail machines that are out there. Those kind of remind me of like the Death Star, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, it's like this ultimately contrived thing. And I think there's a real innate beauty and simplicity um, in this process of infusion and in cocktail when it's done really well. And we wanted that to be part of the, the basis for the consumer's experience. And so it was very much part of our intention to pass that not just the, the, the structure, but the, the feeling that it engenders along of empowerment, of accessibility, of uh, ultimately of mastery. People feel, you know, it's transparent to your point. You can see what's going on. It, it gives people a sense of control, which rightly they should have. Mm -hmm. And it's the sort of thing where I, I mean, perhaps you might not recommend this, but it is the sort of thing where I could see taking out that little uh, infuser botanical basket, uh, sticking that in the sink or the, you know, wherever I'm going to find it when I get back home. But, you know, just grabbing that bottle, taking out the botanicals when it's done infusing and hitting the road with it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like I can see sticking it in a backpack. Uh, you know, it's so funny, you know, our, 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 and you know, we're, I'm not going to dwell too much on this, but our, our sales strategy is constantly evolving with the product as we find legitimately new channels for it to be relevant into. And one of the ones is we're, you know, we've been chatting with one of the big uh, um, kind of outdoor gear camping type uh, publications that's very interested in the application of this for elevated cocktails that you can pack in light. And because there's, you know, minimal reliance on additional ingredients, you're coming out clean, you know, there's leave no trace, that type of mentality. And I really love that idea 
in the, even in an at-home process of something so simple, something so directly engineered to do what it's meant to do, that it leaves no trace. I think that's a, a beautiful way to think about what can be the over complexity of the cocktail category. And, you know, whether you're sticking it to your point in your on the go or your, your, your backpack or whatever, or you're simply, you know, being reasonable about how much space in my kitchen do I actually want to dedicate to making a great drink? The suggestion, I think, from the craft cocktail movement is roughly four times your normal kitchen cabinet volume. But I think realistically, people, again, want that elevated result. They just don't want all the remnants of things. So that clean, simplicity, light footprint, easy, accessible, empowering thing was absolutely, those are the different facets we're driving after with this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to hit a couple things really quickly. Mm. I want to hit the uh, 750 ml bottle solution in case you come across folks who might want to infuse a full bottle of spirit. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, the QR code use because I think there's yeah. a really handy set of little extras and add-ons that, that come with each of these packs that I'd love for you to hit. And then I want to get into some nitty gritty stuff. We have a, a listener question that I'd love your yeah. help answering. And uh, I want to talk just more generally about your approach to sourcing some of these ingredients because some of the combos you put together are awesome. So why don't you take cool. us through uh, 750 mLs and the QR code and all of that, uh, all sure. that that entails, and then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So the 750, um, basically, if you think of infusion as there's a before, so in the process you're thinking, okay, I want these type of cocktails and. You know, we've we've launched our cocktail packs, which make it even easier than it was when we originally launched the, the product range when we were selling single infusion blends on their own. So buy the floral infusion, buy the cinnamon infusion, buy the chocolate, infusion, whatever. Um, and what we did during COVID was really kind of take that extra step because COVID for us provided a, a unique opportunity to 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 take the, the prior two years of market experience and to re-optimize the, the product and to look at it in this forced kind of at home, the consumer wasn't able to get out and do the normal things they nor they do. How could we make it even easier for them to pick which one they want? So for each, I mean, if we think that any cocktail or any spirit can basically, there can be permutations of an old fashioned, a sour and a daiquiri, right? Roll citrus or sweet forward, that kind of thing. And you get different outcomes. We have 19 or let's say 15 blends specifically designed for spirits times five spirits with a few exceptions, but for round numbers, that's 75 infused spirit permutations times three, right? The, the old fashioned, the straight slight modification, uh, you know, daiquiri sour, that's three cocktails per. You're talking about 235 cocktails like that. And that is, you know, that may not be a cocktail you can go back to, a, 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 you know, the Savoy or the old Waldorf or any of those kind of formative cocktail books and say, oh, yes, I'm making that. But in terms of construction of flavor and enjoyability, they knock the cover off the ball. And so being able to put those into packs and merchandise them, that was the thing that we really kind of took away from COVID. And so now when you hit our website, you're looking at 30, depending on the time of year, because there's seasonality, we have some classics that are always there, and then some some season specific offerings that we do. But people can pick from 
25 to 35 different cocktail packs and little infusion comes with it along with the QR code that you're referencing. Um, I'll circle back to your question on the 750, but for the QR code, the, um, the, the big thing there was just really thinking about the cocktail as a 360 degree experience for people. In, during lockdown, the absence wasn't necessarily the drink. The absence was the experience of enjoying the drink in a bar. And a bar is a multi-sensory, a good bar is a multi-sensory experience. Absolutely. It's visual, it's auditory, right? It's it, it, even to some extent there's scent and things like that that go on in it. And so the QR technology, which for people who don't know, QR is just a collection of pixels that typically is, is constructed for native scan by any smartphone application, any, any smartphone. So iOS does it, Android does it, all of them do it. All you gotta do is hold your camera up to the QR code embedded on the back of one of our cocktail packs and it launches what we refer to as our cocktail hubs. And they're specific to the cocktail. They first and foremost give you the recipe. So no more hunting around for cocktail books. Where did I leave that recipe? Did I bookmark that thing I found online? It's all right there on demand for you immediately. Um, the second thing is a quick reference guide to infusion. Maybe it's been a little while since you did your last one. Shame on you, you should be doing them all the time. But in case you didn't, it's just a nice little reassuring quick read thing um, that reminds you if you have the infusion vessel, you use it and that's great. If you don't, it tells you how to do it without. Um, and then, you know, links to things like Spotify cocktail hour playlists. We had a lot of fun putting those together. They're constantly evolving. Um, and even a route back to a quiz that we've launched on our site that allows people to match some, some kind of abstract preferences or things about their personality or what spirits or what mood they're in, almost like a bartender would ask you, that allows us to formulate a, a recommendation of which cocktail is right for you in the moment. Um, so a lot going on with the QR code that's really been a great opportunity to use kind of emergent technology in a completely new way. Um, and so going back, just kind of extending that principle of dialing in the right thing for people in the right moment, you referenced initially our 375 mil uh, infusion bottle. And that's great for that half batch. If you wanted to do a full infusion bottle, you've got kind of two choices with this. You can either do two packets, which mathematically is correct. So infusion is a function of time and volume. That's, that's really it. Volume of the, infuse, the infusion material, volume of the liquid. And so anytime you're altering those things, you're, you're going to have to toggle another one. So if you want to keep the time the same, you can double the volume, you double the, the infusion packets that you use. So two packets for a 750. Um, otherwise, you could think of it as maybe, you know, this is a particularly strong infusion, right? Maybe I'm the kind of cocktail drinker at home. I like a little bit of weaker flavor just generally. That's my preference. I don't like a, a more robust presentation. Then use one packet. Right. So it's it again, this is this is meant to be a tool for the consumer to quickly understand because it's easy and then to feel a level of mastery. And I love nothing more as a product designer than to see people creatively, quote, misuse a product. That's that that's the consumer extending utility. That's the biggest compliment you can get as a product designer. So I say, look, we're going to give you an on the rails experience. We're going to tell you 
how, quote, it should be done. And at the same moment, I want you to feel empowered to do it entirely your way. Mm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So uh, the the nice thing is, you know, the liquor liquor is generally sold and the mo most popular size is going to be your 750 ml. So it's one of those situations where you can simply, you know, even if even in the absence of the 375 ml infuser um, cylinder that we were talking about earlier, there's nothing preventing you from just simply putting the packets straight into the full bottle of spirits and then using something like a coffee filter or cheesecloth or 100%. a nut milk bag yep. to just get that out. And I mean, anybody who I has- I love the big Pyrex, Pyrex things. Like when we've done larger like event service and things like that, we've been lucky enough to do things with like um, the American Diabetes Foundation, with Cipriani, with Live Nation. We've done quite a bit of service level type events. And when we've got to do big quantity or, or in-service quantity, we'll get out the Lexi buckets. We'll do the big, you know, uh, Pyrex measuring cups are great. Um, the only thing to keep in mind is there isn't an eight sugar level uh, in any spirit, right? That's, that's you know, essential for, for fermentation, distillation, all that stuff. So we always recommend using a lidded container if at all available. But honestly, go back to that puddle and leaf example we talked about. It's a robust process. I mean, the English in the 17, 17th century were literally creating bathtub gin. That is nothing more than spirit infused with the range of gin kind of spices and, and florals. Um, so yeah, take advantage of that. Be flexible with the way you want to approach it. Again, we're a tool to accomplish an end, not a prescriptive push the button. It can only happen this way type thing. Yeah. So I think the logical place to go right now is to taste a couple of the infusions. I got to work last night and then oh. again this morning and uh, we had some back and forth before this interview about maybe what we wanted to feature. And I think we arrived on featuring the ginger and then the smoke infusions. Um, and uh, it seems like you have some backstory to talk a little bit about why those infusions might be particularly compelling or difficult to achieve and, and how you, you know, how you really nailed ginger and how you really nailed smoke. So I'm going to start with the ginger since that's probably going to be the, the least uh, intense. And uh, I'll let you just talk me through this. I infused it. I had precisely half a bottle of Catoctin Creek Roundstone Rye Whiskey. Uh, I know yep. that you guys recommended um, Irish whiskey, but this is what was on hand. And I think it it was just perfect. So I'm going to pour myself a little taste here. And uh, why yeah. don't you walk me through that? Sure. So the ginger ginger is, is a very, very, uh, it's one of the only, it's actually the only sing, kind of single ingredient um, you know, blend that we do. That said, there are two ingredients to it. One is ginger, one is elderflower. Ginger is an incredibly peppery uh, flavor, uh, quite powerful. The, the challenge that gets created with that is ginger is an incredibly popular flavor, but it's the question of how do you actually make use of that in your cocktailing? and kind of going and buying fresh ginger that can be incredibly variable because you are you know you're you're at the mercy of the growing season is it towards the beginning maybe a little bit weaker is it way towards the end maybe very mature so 
the other side of it is you're typically having to do a lot of shaving and chopping, et cetera. So it can be a very problematic ingredient to work with. And bartenders, when they're called on to you, first of all, it's very rare that you see ginger used frequently in cocktailing. You know, you, you see it with ginger ale, but I don't even really think of that as kind of ingredient usage. It's more of a mixer usage. Um, but the notion is that you can bring this beautiful peppery kind of natural inten flavor intensity too, as you, you mentioned, we recommend um, our ginger sour is, is recommended uh, for uh, an Irish whiskey. A rye is a very good comparable to that simply because it shares, it shares the absence of that really soft, sugary bourbon base. It's a little bit more delicate. I'd even say almost a brittle type of flavor that matches incredibly well with that pepperiness of the ginger. Mm -hmm. I can see you've taken a sip. How, how'd we do? <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I'll be honest. Uh, th there's, you know, when you said uh, when you were talking about um, ginger earlier, I was thinking like, uh, you know, one of the things that's comparable is, you know, you said it's a popular flavor. Oh, I like ginger. That's like saying, oh, I like spicy food. It's like, great. <laughs> are we talking like sriracha here or are yeah. we talking like five alarm, you know, get, chopping up the ghost peppers type situation? You, you uh, Both of those people say the same thing i like spicy food but mm -hmm. they mean two different things and so it's it's yeah. um ginger is in that place where it's a little bit challenging to figure out exactly the right usage for it now we use fresh ginger in a lot of our cocktail bitters actually mm -hmm. i would say more of our eight flavors than not contain fresh ginger mm -hmm. and it's one of the slight ironies of ginger as an infusion product uh, product or ingredient that I've noticed is that fresh ginger is actually much gentler in uh, spirits infusion than the dried ginger. And mm -hmm. there's some chemical reasons for that that I'm sure are documented somewhere. And I'm sure I'm not, I don't have the scientific literacy to, uh, to um, interpret those, but uh, your use of the dried ginger here is intense enough and it hits the right chemesthetic aspects of flavor experience for me in that when you take a sip, it kind of races to the back of your tongue. You get a little pepperiness up front, but then it kind of races to the back of your palate and warms as the spirit yeah, goes down your throat. It, definitely. It, it yeah. contributes to that. And I think that's why when somebody enjoys something in the buck or the mule category, mm -hmm. that's the exciting part of that drink. It's not an exciting drink without the ginger it's just a watered down sour without the ginger it's a it's a sugared up watered down sour but when you put that ginger in the buck it really plays off the sugar and it really activates um and and the the, the um like i said the chemist thesis of the ginger really plays interestingly with the acid in that cocktail format to uh to make it super exciting even though it is relatively simple to make this episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. If you're like me, here are some things you might be like. You live in the Mid-Atlantic. You enjoy meat. You highly prefer that your meat is local, sustainable, and comes from ethically raised animals. And you'd absolutely love for someone to deliver it to your door once a month. If this sounds like you, then you need Near Country Provisions in your life. Head over to nearcountry.com and check out their different, highly customizable meat delivery packages and also browse their growing seafood selection. 
As a thank you for being a Modern Bar Cart listener, you can get two free pounds of ground beef or bacon included in your first order after subscribing if you enter the code BARCART, all one word, at checkout. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, at checkout. Near Country Provisions is the real deal, and I can honestly say that I'd recommend them even if they weren't a sponsor. The meat and the local farmers they work with are just that good. Now, back to the show. Talk about your your decision to put elderflower in this infusion. Why that? So, uh, you know, elderflower, for those who don't know, is is a slightly naturally sweet botanical. So it literally is a flower. Um, And it it has, I mean, the the liquid version of it that people may be most familiar with would be a Saint-Germain. That's a core elderflower uh, kind of presentation. And to me, actually, elderflower has a cloying sweetness to it. That, that actually on its own can be like, I don't know many people who reach for elderflower or reach for Saint Germain on ice, right? You, you, that's typically mixed in, in in very small, it's kind of like a Sue's type thing, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quixotic type flavor. You want a, a, a de minimis amount of it. It's that, it's that little, ooh, what's that at the back end of the flavor profile? Mm-hmm. And so because exactly to your point, you're 100% right that there's this intensity that's that's derived from the dried version of ginger we saw the need and frankly the opportunity to 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 create this kind of counterbalancing flavor note and felt that the exactly what we we felt was problematic about elderflower on its own when brought in with such a polar opposite as that peppery power of ginger what we actually found was the two flavors kind of you know, come towards the middle of the palate. So it, it knocks some of the fire out of the dried ginger, um, but still leaves this kind of, it likes to play nicely with other flavors, balanced uh, presentation of the flavor overall, which we felt was important. But I, you know, I think this ginger is an interesting one here. And it it kind of, you know, we spoke earlier about this notion of um, the benefits of repetitive and consistent process. So the infusions all go off in two to six hours. It's always one packet to 375 mil, et cetera. And people can learn and become comfortable with that. That also extends into the cocktail construction. So the, the pack that we sent you, I believe, was either the ginger margarita or the ginger sour. Um, I, I think it was the ginger sour because you're mm-hmm. referencing the Irish whiskey. And, you know, that, that, that cocktail construction in, in our terminology is ginger infused whiskey, lemon juice, simple syrup, you're done. The same infusion, swapping out the whiskey for uh, Blanco tequila. So you've got your ginger infused tequila at literally the same measurement levels. You're doing ginger infused tequila, lime juice and agave, and you have a ginger margarita our construction of it anyway, and that may come down to a personal um, dislike for triple sack or anything in that, that family kind of gets to me. So we go kind of a more, a, a cleaner construction for that. Yeah. But the point I'm making is that you, once, once that person at home who may be entirely new to cocktail and looking for, for our product to help them simplify their whole approach to the, the category, once they've learned that that construction, it's highly portable. A gimlet is an incredibly similar construction, you know. Mm-hmm. So 
so this notion of repetition, this notion of consistency, of this 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 almost boomerang revisiting of things you've learned before that you can now use in the same way to create a different and new and exciting effect. That's incredibly um, important to what we want to help communicate to the consumer at home. Well, and that's why I love this product for beginners because that is exactly what you should be doing if you're just starting to learn about cocktails is to learn the basic constructions, learn the old fashioned, learn the sour, yeah. learn the Negroni, right? Like these yeah. are, you know, and once you do that, then you can start complexifying, then you can start understanding them in, in perhaps a more uh, granular way. But uh, that's why I like this uh, as, as a learning device for people who are just starting out. So I think that mm -hmm. really maps on. Um, let's talk about the smoke blend now. And then we've got our listener question that we should answer. Cool. Yeah. So I, I believe you infuse that you infuse that into what? It's a, a Blanco tequila. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, this this um, in, in product design, you have eureka moments along the way, right? Because it's a it's a blind path. It's it, I've always kind of thought of it as like be, finding yourself at the front of a race. How fast do you have to run to stay at the front? You don't know. And so this notion of you get little check-ins from from your your creative instincts along the way that give you this sense of ooh, I think we're on to something here. And this was definitely one of those. Um, so what we wanted to do was to create this sense of smoke, but without the, the kind of contrivance of the smoking chambers or anything like that, to give it a little bit more portability, something a little bit more organic, and frankly, a little bit more durable that actually had to do with taste, not just the connection between scent and flavor, which is really what the smoke machines are doing. Um, and so what this is, is basically a deconstructed Earl Grey turbocharged with Lapsang Sushong, which in China colloquially is known as old man tea. And when you look at this blend, there's there it's a stack of black teas. So it's Ceylon black tea, which is the quintessential kind of subcontinent black tea, already powerful and, and kind of has an innate uh, smoke quality to it. Then there's bergamot, which is an a, a ethereal kind of citrusy presence. And we reinforce that smoke flavor to kind of kick the bergamot into the background. So it becomes very much essence as opposed to flavor. And that the smoke of the lapsang really dominates the presentation. And the final thing is this, this kind of quizzical touch of cornflower petal, which has this beautiful blue kind of hue to it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, that, that's really it. And then I can see you've had a, a quick taste. What are your, what are your thoughts? Uh, super complex for sure. And, and the bottle that I picked up, I, I made sure was in, in both of these cases, since I knew we were going to be discussing these, uh, both were bottles that I was familiar with that I, maybe I couldn't pull it out in a blind tasting because that has been demonstrated to be very unreliable, but certainly <laughs> that something I'm familiar with. So this was just a, a Milagro silver or a Milagro yeah. Blanco, their, their yeah. base expression. It's a, it's a, it's a darn good tequila, but it's nothing special. Uh, yep. something that I, that I always feel comfortable mixing with. So yep. one smart thing I think about it, the, the Lapsang, uh, Suchong, uh, is that smoked? Is that actively yes. smoked in process? So you've got yep. some actual smoke in here and then you are 
also supplementing with ingredients that do smoke or smoke adjacent moves. And mm -hmm. I think that's that's really nice. You're obviously going for a complex blend here. And really what this ends up tasting like, and I only did, this is a two hour infusion. I actually only infused for about an hour because when mm -hmm. I came out and checked on it, I was like, oh, that's quite dark. Uh, I'm very certain we've got a lot of flavor in here. I'm not going to risk over infusing because nope. if you've ever oversteeped a tea bag and then gotten tea that tastes like sandpaper because there's Great so many point. tannins yeah. in there you know you don't want to do that so i took mine out only after only an hour in the infusion uh cylinder the 375 and it tastes the the natural analog the place where my brain wants to go is scotch of course mm -hmm. um or perhaps mezcal because mezcal is definitely the smoky cousin to tequila but this is but without that medicinal kick at the end right yeah and, and yeah it, it's definitely it, the 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 initial kind of flavor presentation is very mezcali but it doesn't have that i've always felt like mezcal to me with a few exceptions is almost like the perfect song with one wrong chord in it you know and it's it's a great spirit. Don't get me wrong. I've got a couple different types of mezcal at home. Love it. Drink it neat. It's great. Mm. But what this is, it, it can be a challenging flavor mm -hmm. for people. And so this has kind of all the good and none of that offset with that medicinal kind of band-aid-y flavor at the end, like the mezcal will have. Yeah, it's interesting because I want to compare this to like somewhere, but like if there was a triangle between Highland, Speyside, and Mezcal in terms of mm -hmm. two different types of scotch, so you get the smoke from the Highlands, you get some of the, this. it does have a little nice hint of sweetness on there. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's from the corn flour, maybe it's from um, some it's of the, the teas. Uh, the, and the bergamot, yeah. So, bergamot. And, and, and some of the Speyside has some of those fruitier notes in it as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. So I see this as kind of falling in the middle of those three different types of spirits. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that's the point of an infusion. You're taking something and you're turning it into something else. If you wanted a space, I'd go get a space. If you wanted a Highland, go get a Highland. If you wanted a Mezcal, go get that. But no, what we're doing here is we're taking Blanco tequila, obviously and ostensibly something to mix cocktails with rather than to enjoy neat and then using other ingredients to turn it into something that it is not and something even different from those other three categories that we spoke about in comparison so i think in that respect it, it really is a remarkable achievement in infusion it couldn't have been easier i mean i didn't have to think while doing any of these and i i say that as a compliment when i normally don't mean it as a compliment because i like <laughs> to think about it mm -hmm. uh, but but the outcome is just so wonderful here um how do you think more generally about creating what we might call flavor accords um you know something that a that a some that a gin distiller might think about or a perfumer might think about mm -hmm. of taking multiple ingredients and using them together to create like you were speaking about a moment ago a chord with different notes mm -hmm. becoming greater than the sum of their parts uh, maybe you can walk us through another example from from your products as a, as a way of illustrating that sure um I, you know i think it's it, again kind of you have to consider the mindset that's natural for us which is always the product design what is the outcome how does it quote fit in the hand of the consumer and what result can it achieve for them so as opposed to, say, 
someone who's more deeply embedded in, you know, maybe running a farm or they have these, they're closer to the ingredient layer. We see flavor as, as a tool to achieve a result. And therefore we kind of think backwards almost. We, we start with what we want to put in the hand of the consumer. And then we may have certain notes that we want to make sure are in there. Some of them may be because, hey, when we market this concept, I want to be able to present this image. That ingredient has to be in there, right? Or it may come up as a technical thing, right? I mentioned this notion of kind of the technical balancing between ginger on its own, which in my estimation, dried ginger for infusion would probably be too powerful. Um, so we, we counterbalance with elderflower, which is nowhere near ginger in terms of flavor. It's kind of an out of left field inclusion. And what we found is that that's really the art to what we do. There is no prescription for that. Where it becomes a bit prescriptive and where we've had to develop a, a deeper technical understanding and techniques to kind of suit is the fact that flavor stacking is really about your primary, your overt flavor. You're immediately supporting flavors. So uh, as an example, I'll take one of our, our, our most popular infusions, and it's one you could probably close your eyes and guess um, accurately right away, is our citrus infusion, which is lemongrass, lemon verbena, ginger, right? So there's, there's an element of ginger in there, which is way in the background because it's powerful, right, as we've talked about. The lemongrass has the earthiness. The lemon verbena has this kind of punch in the middle. And so the interesting thing is the one thing we don't have in that citrus, that lemon forward flavor, is actual lemon zest. You know, And why is that? That's because when I say words like citrus or floral or chocolate, what I'm doing is creating an expectation. We, in, in design, you call it a supernormal expectation. It's a generic, an undefined generic apprehension or, or understanding that the consumer is likely to have. And that the goal is designing towards that. So that even though they can't really express it, what they're getting is that balance of that flavor. The last thing you want, if, if, you, if you say, yes, I want, I want citrus or lemon, the last thing you want is just lemon zest. Way too powerful, it's crazy. You know, you can't do that. So it's, it's all about finding ways and it's it's a lot of trial and error there there are five different commercial types of cinnamon for instance right mm -hmm. we had to land on one that a was properly and consistently sourceable that can be a challenge because these are natural ingredients that's world commodities market stuff so yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir i promise <laughs> yeah 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 no i know you know but like so, you know instead of coming out of sumatra that year it may have to come out of, of Sri Lanka or, you know. And so getting something that's going to be consistent and available, but then going through the trial and error and, and communicating with our, our blending partners as well, saying the type of sweet offset, in the case of like our cinnamon infusion, we actually, that was going to be an incredibly fast, our only one hour infusion. And what we came to was that the, the sweet offset for that infusion, kind of like the equivalent for the elderflower that we do in that ginger blend, um, had too much of, of a, a, a kind of um, flat note to it. We wanted something that was more rounded. 
And what we ended up doing was including elements of apple and orange. So this kind of tree fruit sweetness, right? And those flavors take five hours to emerge. So the cinnamon in our cinnamon infusion is pretty much at full volume within 90 minutes. It thankfully doesn't continue to exponentially grow like tea, like you were speaking about before and quite accurately about the notion of oversteeping with black teas, where for that smoky infusion, we say literally two hours and no more. But for the cinnamon, it kind of plateaus and then it gives that extra few hours gives time for that tree fruit sweetness to come up behind it. And can you taste apple or are maybe if you've got a really dialed in palate, but more likely what you're getting is this again, super normal kind of satisfaction for that idea that you have in your head of a given flavor. So and of, long answer, yeah. short question, but it's, 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 it's very much, and I know you're way dialed into this, but there's, there's a, a, basis of science, but then it's all the art, you know? I love it. I love it. Well, and especially because cinnamon and apple and orange, cinnamon, apple, cinnamon, orange, these are all, uh, you know, pairings that we encounter so often in the culinary space, you know? So, Absolutely. so, so it, it's easy to overlook the individual flavors simply by that fact that they are paired so often, you know, so that I think that uh, I, I like the the concept of the supernormal expectation. I think it's something I'll have to marinate on a little bit because, mm. you know, I've obviously been dealing with other people's supernormal flavor expectations for many years now, but I don't know that I've treated them as such. It's, it's really, um, really dialed in design thinking way to approach it. But I wanted mm. to turn our attention now to our listener, Gene. You may hear a little bit of clicking on my mic because I need to go over to Gene's email. Uh, I'm going to just, this is two emails because I needed more information from him. So uh, Gene said, uh, been a listener to your podcast for the past year or so and heard you mention a few times that when you increased your bitter production volume, you needed to adjust the recipes by increasing the flavoring ingredient. I'm crafting a few flavors at home going from a 16 ounce batch to a five gallon batch. Any suggestion on what percent I need to increase my flavors? Um, realize it's not an absolute science, but looking for some guidance. Thanks in advance, Gene. So that was his initial question. Mm -hmm. um, it's we'll get to like percentage of increase in a second because there's, there's a bit of a flaw that that's a bit of a flawed idea, but, but it's, it's right in principle. So what I asked him for, I said, listen, you got to get us uh, a little bit more on your ingredients and the proof that you're infusing at and, you know, roughly how long and, you know, just if you're going to be doing other things like sweetening your bitters uh, or adding any, any other ingredients in there. So basically what we're looking at here is we're looking at extracting at 80 proof. So we're not doing a super high proof extraction and then proofing down. Mm -hmm. We're not sweetening. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ingredients here, this is like a lavender or lavender adjacent flavor. So some of the things that he listed as ingredients were lavender buds, gentian, and burdock, which are the two uh, bittering agents in this respect. We've got juniper, coriander, Moroccan mint, green tea, lemongrass, chamomile flowers, and black pepper powder. 
The last thing I will note is that for this formula, I was considering increasing the flavor ingredients, lavender and mint green tea, as I scale from 16 ounce to the five gallon batch. Um, let me know if there's anything else. Uh, greatly appreciated, Gene. So knowing that we've got somebody who's trying to go up from like a mason jar size batch of these lavender bitters to a five gallon, think like a, a, a glass carboy for home brewing, um, yeah. what, and any, any initial thoughts on that? Um, I, I mean, obviously I'll put it in the context of our own experience doing larger infusions in service. Um, you know, immediately there are a couple of ingredients in there that, that jumped out at me as potentially, uh, challenging when you talk about like mismatching of intensity. And so like, you know, the black pepper would be initially something that you, you would think you'd need to watch incredibly closely. My sense is that that would probably be one of the easier ingredients to deal with. I was looking more at things like chamomile, which can can start to get um, that can be a, that can quickly move out of being a secondary flavor into a primary flavor very quickly. So I'd I'd very much watch that, and I think the notion of the mint element can also be a challenge. The Moroccan mint is, the, is a good call. Anything um, peppermint or any of those more kind of, um, we think of them almost as like medicinal or dental type mints can become unwieldy, uh, I think also, because they, they're they not technically black teas, right? They're, that's a botanical, but they, they have that over infusibility property to them where it starts to get intense and then intense and dull. It's a weird combination, right? So those would be the ones. Um, and, and I think the, the idea of the, the lavender, of course, I'd be interested to know how, how, is that being done with natural ingredients or is that being done with extracts or, or stuff like that? Because I think that, you know, the lavender also, that's one that we've seen can, can fluctuate wildly in intensity. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, the lavender was the first place where I wanted to go with this in terms of making recommendations. Now, Gene, what you may have heard about scaling ingredients, I, th I think I think you translated that to dialing certain things up in intensity uh, in and assuming that certain things don't scale when you move to a larger batch size. That may very well be the case in some instances, but what I found more often when scaling a, an infusion like this is that some things actually scale more aggressively at a larger batch size. So my problem child in that was uh, the allspice in our tiki bitters. We had allspice mm. at a certain quantity. And when we scaled that linearly to the five gallon or, you know, the larger batch size, and we use liters uh, so that we can stay in the metric system and keep things easy for my for my very uh, fragile brain and, <laughs> and math abilities. But um, but yeah, the allspice which was at a perfect level at the mason jar size test batch when we scaled that just blew everything else out of the water. So some things, what I would caution against, and I think chamomile is a smart one, lemongrass is also another mm -hmm. situation where depending on what type of like where how you're doing your lemongrass, now you can get fresh lemongrass. To me, dried lemongrass has almost like this fruit loopy quality. And when you mm -hmm. let that take over, like as a as a background note, really nice, plays really well with lavender. But as soon as you let that uh, lemongrass step out in front, 
perhaps by infusing in a larger size and scaling that linearly. I say that lemongrass might be something that you'll need to back down. Um, also with lavender, one of the things that I've learned is that there are multiple grades. So if you go on a website like Mountain Rose uh, or perhaps Star West Botanicals, you'll see at, in the with the better uh, wholesale spice purveyors, they will have different grades. They'll have you know regular lavender, um, uh, ex extra maybe, and then there's super, super grade. Uh, the way to get a better lavender flavor is to always go with the highest grade that you can afford, organic if possible. And then also the one hack I've learned because we encountered some variability in our lavender bitters. And so I was calling our ingredient providers and saying like, hey, listen, like I'm experiencing these fluctuations, any, any, any reason why? And they're like, oh, well each lot number has so like imagine like you're a lavender field in wherever they source this lavender from a lot number is what you ship in bulk to these people who then repackage and resell that um that product so each lot number has with it some sort of quality number that we don't get told and that quality number with lavender has to do with the buds to leaves and stem ratio so really what you're doing when you're infusing lavender is you're infusing some lavender buds, but also some unknown quantity of leaves and stems. Your ability to mm -hmm. control the amount of leaves and stems in that infusion is going to be the difference between a really clean, pure lavender flavor and something that's perhaps a little bit more vegetal and more bitter. So my recommendation overall is don't think so much about needing to scale up that lavender or scale up that green tea more than you would if you were just linearly scaling it. I would worry about the other things, like you mentioned, the chamomile, potentially the lemongrass that might be more aggressive with longer time in the infusion. Uh, and then also as, as a writer on that, the more you can do to really latch on to quality by doing a couple of those hacks that I just mentioned with the lavender is going to pay really good dividends down the road. And if you do that, you know, the better quality you use, the less you need to use to get that good flavor. So those are my thoughts. I don't, I don't know if you have any uh, any follow ups. Yeah, the, the only thing I'm thinking is as you're, you're speaking, one of the things that I, I was just kind of, you know, gut checking myself on is if I was doing that kind of a large scale up, how would I approach it? And I'm, all, I'm not even sure it's something where you'd get two formulations at the end, you know, you're small and you're large. I wonder if they're not a couple in between because that's a pretty big scale up that he's, that he's talking about. It's almost like, yes, the, the linear scale up might give you an indication, right? Of, yeah, theoretically I should end up about here, but I think mindset wise, you may almost want to approach it as a, as a, a related, but somewhat separate development because it, it, that's a big increase. You know. It really is. And it's one of the, again, like you said, there's, it's all science, but the science is so non-complementary to an actual <laughs> product development mindset that you almost yeah. have to throw it out the window and, and think of, think of your ingredients more like notes or more like characters yeah. in a story, right? Yeah. How are they relating to one another? It's not so much about, is this going to scale? Is this not going to scale? It's at, a larger scale, how are these things going to relate to one another? So one thing I can't tell you, Gene, is, you know, what your burdock and your gentian are going to do over a long period of time and in a larger vessel. 
um, are you going to be agitating this vessel at all? You know, there's also some some process involved there as well. So, so yeah, it's it's a complicated question. Um, please do feel free to follow up. You know, Gene, we've got our email thread. So if you have any follow ups after hearing this, please let me know. Um, but yeah, I think that was a really fun little uh, use case to take some of the knowledge that we've been talking about and actually apply it to uh, something that one of our listeners is dealing with right now. Yeah. Uh, so wrapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, we'd, we'd love to taste them too. So if you want to send yeah. us any. Last question here before sure. we wrap up the main section is what's on what's on the horizon? You know, we, we just uh, got through a big kind of iterative phase for you, it seems like, with uh, with the pandemic and rolling out the QR codes and some of the yeah. um, evolving use cases for the infusions. But uh, what what's on the horizon for you? So we've got, um, we're, we're really proud of this. We've been, we've been, you know, one of the, the kind of go to market things for us um, that's really important and also based on our experience with kind of introducing true kind of innovation to the, to the product landscape is always about scale validation. Who, who do people already know that they can trust that say, hey, one part is legit, one part is something you should be involved in. And so we've been working with um, actually uh, Diageo. For, for a number of months now about an upcoming program we're going to be doing with uh, three of their spirit brands on shelf where we've created packs that slip over the neck of the bottle and are kind of present. Uh, basically, it's an on-bottle version of our cocktail packs. Um, and those are going to be going through some of the big um, uh, grocery chains out on the West Coast. Um, so people like Albertson, Safeway, Fries, Total Wine. So we're really excited about that because not only is that that scale validation, right, where these are very recognized. If I said them, you'd know them immediately. I can't because it's, you know, they don't want us talking too much about it uh, before before it goes live in September. But this idea that, um, you know, you've got these 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 highly recognizable um, almost definitional spirits brands whispering back at the consumer saying, hey, not only are we playing in this new kind of innovative, fun at-home space, but equally one part's the partner that we feel is is the match for our quality and our commitment to your experience. So that that's just, you know, something we're very proud of. That's the result of a, an absolutely epic amount of work for our team. Um, so super excited about that. So stay tuned there. Um, and then really more kind of like zooming out, like where are we taking this? Um, I really love the idea of um, using the cocktail packs and the infusion simplicity to enable the home consumer to not just enjoy easy bar quality cocktails in their home environment, but to do so as a way to connect to different cocktail cultures around the world, right? So whether that's kind of the, the Shinjuku type thing from, from Tokyo with like the little stall bars that they have with like three stools and like a cocktail wizard making up individual, you know, like tap into a bit of their flavor profiles with things like yuzu and basil and, you know, some of these really cool, exotic, fun things. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, take take the, the, the kind of formal, traditional approach like that in Japan and you juxtapose that with maybe, you know, we spend some time down with some bartenders, you know, on the beach bars in Rio. Or we've been in, actually formed a, a bit of a fun online relationship with some aquatic farmers um, based out of Iceland who are dealing with like, um, you know, uh, botanical ingredients that they're actually growing at depth in the ocean. So it's uh, to me, I feel like 
the thing that, and you'll, you'll under, you'll, I think, um, be on the same wavelength is, you know, there's so much to express and so much to explore when you think about cocktail, not just as a liquid, but as an experience. Um, and how do we, how do we help the consumer tap into and simplify a product that may have previously mystified them, but also compress distances to bring something, you know, that's vibrant and really popping and happening. Like the Mexico City bar scene right now is great. It's incredible. Some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen is coming out of the bars there. So how, how could we tap into that? How could we bring that into what we're presenting to consumers in this market? Um, you know, and then we're going to be doing like so on the slightly more mundane side, you know, hitting the, the funding markets a bit later in the summer as well. Um, just to make sure that, you know, our arsenal is fully loaded for the next next kind of batch of, of innovation that we've got lined up. So full plate or full glass, I guess you'd say. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what we got going on. It sounds like it. No rest. No rest no for rest. the weary. But uh, but that's all super excited, uh, super exciting developments to be able to uh, to share with us. So best of luck with your Diageo rollout. And uh, I won't push too hard. I don't want any any, any uh, Diageo thugs knocking on my door <laughs> with, a, with a baseball bat. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure I, I can I can I can imagine some brands in the back of my head that you might yeah. be working with. And yeah. uh, those are precisely the types of brands that I would use your product with. So yes. it seems, it seems yeah. a natural fit. There's a price yeah. point fit there and, uh, and a recognition yep. fit there. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. Thank you. Well, uh, that's great. Do you have time for a couple quick lightning round questions? Love it. Yes. That'd be great. All right. First one, what's your favorite cocktail of all time? And Negroni. if you don't have one Negroni, yeah, no hesitation, none, none whatsoever. It, right. it, in my mind, it is, it is the perfect cocktail. I mean, it, and I'll keep to the lightning round format here, but if you go back to, the the kind of just pre-prohibition um cocktail books that really form the basis for the entire craft cocktail movement yeah. um i mean my father actually ran the waldorf astoria for a number of years and so i kind of have always grown up in the hotel environment he ran other hotels but he was there for about 10 years and the old waldorf book was something that i came across when i was there and i was young i was in my early teens when he was there but it always just fascinated me, that kind of stuff. And you go through there and I'm telling you, uh, over three quarters of the recipes in that book are gin based. It's just, it is the quintessential cocktail spirit to me. Mm -hmm. um, it infuses beautifully as well. And you've got this cool base with the botanical side where you get a lot of that fruit and, and floral richness. Even you go up to like a, a bar hill or something like that with like the honey comb type presence. Um, all the way over to the super dry London. You got a huge range of experience with it. It's just a, it's a, it's a great cocktail and you can have endless arguments about the proper kind of, um, you know, formulations or, or, uh, or um, percentages for the cocktail as well. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, what's a seemingly small or idiosyncratic occurrence that always makes your day? Okay. So we've been talking a lot about like analog reality. So I'm going to flip over to digital for a second. Um, I just recently, and maybe I'm telling you something that everybody's known for like five years, but I've been starting to use like the Sonos alarms as a way to start playing certain stations at certain times of day. So, you know, just during the pandemic, there's been a lot of like, you know, this notion of I'm trapped, I, I want to experience this. So I've started streaming things from like, you know, like this, the, the radio station on Martha's Vineyard 
or one in like Rocky Top in Tennessee or, you know, out in Marfa, Texas, like these hyper local radio stations. But I, I've kind of timed it so it kind of follows me around during the day. And I've just found it really cool. It's like having your own personal theme track. It's kind of oh, or soundtrack. It's cool. That's fantastic, especially paired with uh, all of the playlist design that you've done. So, yeah, uh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. it. Uh, cocktail with anyone in the world, past or present. Who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just paint us a picture. Sure. Uh, okay, so this is going to get an initial awe from the, the listeners, but it'd be my maternal grandmother. And the reason for this is... Um, she passed away when I was kind of, you know, relatively young. So I didn't get to know her too, too well, but a very kind of artsy type person. But importantly, she wrote copy for ad agencies in New York City in the 50s. And she loved cocktails. Her cocktail was a gimlet. And, uh, you know, one of the, the cocktails that, that, that work with our infusions really well is, is what we call our garden gimlet. It's our floral infusion into gin. Um, and so I think she'd just be tickled that, you know, we put this much effort into making a great drink. Uh, and I, I just love to hear her references back to kind of that formative Mad Men, you know, ad agency in New York with women in white gloves on Fifth Avenue. You know, that just that whole vibe. I think it'd be a really cool kind of juxtaposition. And, you know, she uh, she was she she knew how to, to drink a drink. So, I, you know, I think she'd be just a lot of fun anyway. Very particular moment for the cocktail. I love it. Um, last one here. Do you have any unusual or controversial opinions in the spirits and cocktail space? Yeah, I, I think the, the big one, and I've referenced a couple of them. I mean, I, you know, this notion of I, I, I view cocktail less as beverage item and more as almost kind of lifestyle experience, if you had to put it into a category at this time, because it really is... At, at its most limited definition, it's about putting ingredient, liquid ingredients in a glass, right? But it's much more as we've been talking about, right? The the provenance of things, the process of things, how how accessible, enjoyable, empowering is a certain cocktail or a moment, and really giving the customer that sense of ease, right? That same grandmother, I can hear her her voice. Uh, she lived in Savannah um, in the later part of her life, and she she was from the South and had a bit of a, a bit of a Southern accent. And I remember her saying, you know, uh, you know, welcoming people into her home with, oh, and what can I what can I fix you to drink? You know, that kind of just that gentility of that question, not this. I'm going to disappear in the kitchen for four hours before I get my smoker out and my nitrogen and what you know all this mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Just that gentility and ease. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know. Extending beyond that, I, I, so I, I think cocktail should be and needs to be less about faithful recreation of classic formulas and more about inspired personalization. Because mm -hmm. I think everybody's palate is the only one they have. And so matching up to what others describe or tell you is correct, I don't have much time for that. And I'm, I'm you know, I, I kind of think of the cocktail industry a bit like late era, like progressive rock, like ELO or yes. And I feel like what we're doing is a little bit more sex pistols. You know, <laughs> it's, you need three ingredients and a bit of energy. You don't need orge. <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. need all this contrivance, just really good ingredients constructed simply and get out of the way, drink it. And if you want it different next time, make it a little different next time.
Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love the I love the music comparison. Um, well, <laughs> Andrew, this has been a hell of a conversation. I think my big takeaway is that uh, this is the proof in the pudding, right? Uh, the proof in the pudding is not only in the glasses here that we sampled through. It's it's through all the uh, all, all the really thoughtful um, details that that you and your team have have dealt with to come out on the other side with something exactly like you just mentioned, simple, uh, but really full of energy. So thank you for taking this time to um, to walk through this with me and just give us the quick digital contact info for you and your team so we know where to learn more about one part company and uh, how to purchase your product. Absolutely. Well, first off, Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's, you know, it's, it's, we think long and deep about this stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just always great to, to get to talk to somebody who, who shares that passion and has um, also equally put in so much of the effort to kind of express their perspective on how to make a better drink. It's really what it's all about. Mm -hmm. um, so really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we're easy to find. We're at onepartco.com. Um, our socials are all onepartco. And, um, you know, I, I should say one part actually just came from this belief that you know, every great cocktail starts with one part infusion. That's really where the name comes from. Mm -hmm. um, so one part co will get you everywhere. I'm at Andrew at onepartco.com. If anyone has any follow-up questions, obviously either over to Eric or, or you can always feel free to reach out to me directly. And I think, um, you know, we're excited to see where this, this adventure takes us. And the most exciting thing to me is I'm not quite sure yet. I know what we've done, but what we have yet to do next that's the exciting part. So I think it's a, a big cheers from us. And again, my my thanks for having me on today. All right. Well, Andrew, hopefully we'll have a opportunity for a part two in the future. But uh, <laughs> for now, thanks for being a guest and cheers to you. Cheers. Buddy. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.
This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, Spirits Infusion advice courtesy of Andrew Hellman and The One Part Company, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2021.